This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. We'll get going. Actually, let me see. Pause our recording. Uh, we have today, we have our very special guest. He's a frequent uh, person who comes back to the Squad Up calls on a regular basis, adds a lot of value to the Squad Up calls. Mr. Michael Zuber, how you doing today, Michael? I'm doing well, Ty. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun to talk to knowledgeable experts who really care about what they're doing. So I, I find this to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you for all the wisdom and all the guidance and the insights that you share. We're going to have a, we're going to have a really, um, we're going to talk about opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about shifts. We're going to talk about pre-foreclosures. We're going to talk about opportunities in this market. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to give people an opportunity to share um, any wins. So I want to go like Caleb, Zach, Joe, Perla, Carlos, Maria, Susan, Robert, um, anybody out there, Mel, anyone out there that wants to share some wins, things that you're proud of for the month of March. We're at the end of March. I know a lot of you have been working hard. Zach, why don't you lead us off? I like what you shared this morning at 9 a.m. Okay. Yeah. So this morning I finally hit uh, my contacts that I was looking for at the beginning of the month. So I set a goal to hit a thousand contacts for my first month in eight contracts. And I hit a thousand plus. And on top of that, I got three contracts instead of eight, but it was my first month and I was shooting at the moon. But at the end of the day, that did really well. And this morning I got a nice buyer lead. Wasn't even the person that I called. It was the wrong number. And I just ended up throwing out asking if he knew anyone looking to buy or sell right now. And he's like, I'm moving and it's for work. And I have to go anywhere between the Coachella to Ontario area in California. And he's like, I'm working right now, but he's like, why don't you give me a call at three o'clock, this same exact number. And we can go ahead and link up in regards to that. So nice questions great job zach welcome back welcome back (laughs) so love it man i love so a thousand contacts how many um how many hours a day have you been prospecting Uh, i've been prospecting for around eight hours of actual dialing time that's around four to five hours a day and that's a minimum of 43 plus contacts every day for the entire month if you exclude weekends and also some days that we uh, ended up taking off Love it. Love it. Great job, Zach. I love it. Great job. Great work. Great work. There he is. What's up? And my wonderful co-host, he is like, here's the beauty. If you don't know, you need to know. Adrian Hernandez is one of the most dynamic real estate entrepreneurs in Southern California in the West Coast. How you doing today, Adrian? I'm just getting after it. I'm so, I'm sorry, guys. How are you? LA traffic is back, but uh, I'm almost to the office. And thank you, Ty, for uh, like, like how we're able to, to do this. Thank you. Appreciate Teamwork. you. Teamwork. Teamwork. I was off yesterday. You covered for me. Uh, and you're here, too, by the way. So, by the way, why is Adrian in the car? It's because he's doing deals. He's out looking at. He's walking projects. Well, the one thing with Adrian and I and Michael and I think for our whole community is we're not people that just talk about, mm-hmm. you know, what we used to do or what we do now and then, but we're actually practitioners. We're actually, we do, we, we practice what we preach. When we talk about things, we also move our feet and do the work. So great job, Adrian. I love it that you're coming live from the, from the vehicle. So yeah, live from the uh, Flipmobile, the wholesale mobile. And uh, I'll share a win. So my, my uh, goal for the year was to flip 30 properties uh, just on the flipping side. Um, as of Q1, we have 14 acquired. I, uh, I know I'm going to for sure pass that 30 mark. So let's go. <laughs> let's go. Good job, Adrian. I love that. Leading from the front. I love it. Who else would like to share some wins? 
Uh, I can share some time. Uh, so it's great to have Michael here. And Michael, thank you very much. Uh, the book is amazing. Uh, so read it all the time. And then one of the deals that I locked up last week uh, was a seller contract. And going back to just listening to your daily you know, updates, financial updates, it just so happened that you know, I spit out your, you know, I'm watching that 10-year treasury and the, the gentleman goes, Robert, I watched that too. He's like, you're exactly right. And in my head, I'm like, thank you, Michael. <laughs> so they're flying out to Houston today to go lock down a, a purchase out there and then we'll sell their house down here in San Diego. And then two more wins was uh, we got a $2 million pre-qualified guy we sent over to uh, my lender. And then another gentleman who's got a home down here in Oceanside, he wants to get pre-qualified so we can figure out what to buy him. But yeah, your your financial updates, if people aren't listening to those on a daily basis, yeah, they're missing out. So take advantage of it and read the book. So thanks to Ty and to Adrian for, for bringing you into our group. So it, it's paying off. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Love it. Great oh, job, good. Robert. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Who else would like to share? We got room for one more and then we're going to get into the, we're going to get into the nitty gritty with Michael. One more. Jessica Reyes, Jessica Alvarado, Johnny Perez. I'll one share. One more. Maria, please go for it, Maria. Um, I reached out to Isaac and I think we finally decided on an agreement for marketing. I purchased property radar and the yellow pages format. I opened an escrow and I've been coming to the office every single day. Like I said, I would this week, slowly getting back to it. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, Square. And I think I've posted like four videos too, which is out of my norm, by the way. Nice. For real and you're posting video and you're providing content. I love it. Great job, Maria. Great job. So, so thank you guys all for being on here. I love, so the new format is what we're doing is I know there's a handful of people that are getting on. I wanted you to be on because I wanted you to be able to interact. So I want to do a lot of Q and A with Michael. Um, Michael is somebody that, you know, the beauty is that he's somebody that's a part of our community. He has a tremendous amount of, um, of experience um, and the biggest thing too, is that I love out of everybody I know, and I know some really smart guys, Michael is one of the smartest and behind being one of the smartest. Why is because he does the work. He studies the market. He studies financial news. He studies the trends. He's looking at the 10 year treasury. I've known about the 10 year treasury for years and years and years, but I didn't really know what to do with it. Michael shows, shows us how to practically use, in a practical way, how to use the tools that are out there that are available that are at our fingertips. So let's go ahead and get started, Michael. So um, let's do a little bit of, I want to start off with like maybe almost like a state of the union approach here. Let's talk about what's happened in the first quarter of the year. We're at the very, you know, it's the end of March. State of the union, where are we at in the real estate industry in California, the West Coast? Yeah. Problem? So I think there's something we need to appreciate uh, right now, right? March 31st in the Q1 as we go forward. And again, the beauty of what I, what I like to do is I just share what's going on. So if, if you go back and look at my history of videos, you know, nine months ago, I was telling you it was probably the best time ever to do two things. One is to lock up a flip, you know, that you can get in and out of in, in 30 days, given where I saw inventory coming. And that turned out to be really well. And the other thing for real estate agents was go get listings because you'd be able to sell anything you touched. Both turned out to be remarkably right and we were early. And if you took action, congratulations. If you're Adrian and you got 15 flips acquired in Q1, good, you know, good for you because you can get out by the summer and you, you know, you'll have to pick the litter on your deals. As we exit Q1, I think we should all realize that the next 12 months are not underscore bold letters, italics, not going to be like the last 12 months. And we need to appreciate that on all levels. That is going to have ramifications, some good and some bad, right? So interest rates, interest rates were, were unnaturally forced lower the last 12 months. They are going to creep up the next 12 months. Uh, inventory was artificially forced lower. Uh, inventory is going to come back. I'm calling it the transition from dark to light. 
if you watch my daily financial news, I was telling you a year ago, we're in a dark, we're in a dark tunnel. I don't know where it's going. There's a, a speck of light, but we don't know how far away it is and light got closer. And now we're standing at the edge. I would say we're still, we're still at the very edge of the tunnel. So technically, if you're a negative person or if you want to find bad data, you can find it. But right in front of you is like sunshine, no clouds. We are going to have an amazing next 12 months. As real estate agents, what I would tell you to do today is you got to be really careful because the last year or so, it has all been about listings and then stuff sold quickly. I think it's still that way. You're going to have to work a little bit harder, but please do not forget about your buyers. It is going to transition as inventory goes from a record low of 1 million and slowly builds to one and a half and then two and then two and a half and 3 million. These are national numbers, right? We are at a balanced market at about 3.3, 3.4 units. And we are so far away from that. It's, it's not funny, but it is coming back. And the reason I say this is if you don't take care of your buyers now and touch base and, and, and follow up, they will. And I promise you walk into an open house sometime this summer, maybe in August, maybe in September, they will feel so frustrated that open house agent who's, you know, had their license for three seconds is going to go, well, I don't got any offers yet. And they're going to write an offer right there with that person. And they're going to celebrate the quick win and you're going to have lost hours and hours of your time. So follow up, follow up, make sure you're touching base, follow up more than you were the last six months, because it's going to, it's going to transition to buyers having the power. I think what will happen by, late Q3, early Q4 is that the most perfect, cleanest, best location properties will sell remarkably well above asking like we're seeing today. But it's going to be that next 80% that's going to linger, days on market's going to extend. And if you're not careful, you, you could lose out on, on well-deserved commission uh, to another agent who just happens to be at the right place at the right time. So again, I think I think we're just about to enter a gangbuster year. It's going to be, you know, close to the roaring 20s, which means GDP could be up seven, eight, nine, even 10 percent. Um, that means inflation could be up. So interest rates will be higher in a year. Uh, tell your tell your buyers, you know, now's the time, right? The Fed is forcing rates lower. They probably can do that for another six to 18 months. But at some point, a raging economy is going to force interest rates up. And you won't be able to get something with a three on it. it. It could have a high four or even, God forbid, a low five. And that's going to that's gonna slow down the market. So that's kind of where my mind's at. I'm not sure if I hit what you were looking for, Ty, but that's kind of the state of the union, I think. Oh, very good. Very good. Very insightful. Um, I want to follow up with regard to uh, inventory. So mm -hmm. specifically, this market has been driven by inventory I know you study a, a very specific metropolitan area of California. Um, what I found is your metro is pretty in sync with most of the metropolitan areas in terms of low inventory. That yep. seems to be a theme across California and even across the country. Mm -hmm. Right now, today, what are you seeing in terms of absorption or kind of Two weeks supply, thirty days supply, or how? What what have you seen on inventory? So if you look at the if you look at the top line number, it's under thirty days. It's like three and a half weeks. But if you strip out uh, anything in my market above eight hundred grand, right? The median's about three, call it three twenty, three thirty, right? So eight hundred to stretch in Fresno, California. If you strip strip out the high end, uh, which inventory is slowly building actually, and, and days on markets are extending. Um, you know, you get, you get to pretty close to two weeks supply. And again, LA Times, you know, small newspaper just put out Fresno, California was the number one market with 39% rent increase, affordability problems, wrong inventory, all kinds of stuff, which is really California wide for the most part. Um, but again, I think, I think what's going to happen is as we exit the dark period, we get into the light, the people that, you know, painted the bedrooms that, you know, played in the backyard, they're going to go, damn it, I got a lot of equity in this house. And I need a bigger one. I need a. I need an office. I'm tired of using my garage. I don't want to park my car outside. You know, there's going to be so many move up buyers, and that's what we've been missing. The last year was, you know, you got you got some rich people buying second homes, right? That happened, and then you had some, you know, millennials who left apartments and bought first time homes. But we really didn't have a lot of move up buyers, right? The person that sold the house they bought seven eight years ago and then bought the next one, you know, 100 150 k higher. That stuff's going to go bananas this year, right? So uh, if you can find that listing, as we talked about earlier in some of the wins, get that first listing, 
you know, get the second one. And, and today, as the example was, maybe it's find the, you know, find the one they buy, then list. That's probably the right strategy for the next 90 days. But as we get into the summer, you know, it should be getting more balanced. And um, yeah, I mean, still, people ask me all the time, what are you doing? And people are talking about crash and all this freaking nonsense. It's so stupid. Uh, but I'm still buying as many residential loan houses I can below the median because they cash flow. Uh, I think the federal government plans inflation, even they don't want to tell us that. So if I can go get 30-year debt with a five on it in an environment that's inflating at four or five percent, I'm basically borrowing money at one percent, and I got to pay through the nose. Some of you and some of your investors can still get a three percent, and they actually have negative interest rates. It's crazy. So yeah, I uh, I see a good year. Uh, I see I see somewhere between a good and a very good year ahead. I love it. I love it. I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to have Adrian follow up. So I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to pass to Adrian to ask a few. So um, what, in your opinion, based on your experience, what do you see as a normal balanced market with regard to 90 days of inventory, 60 days of inventory? What are your kind of your thoughts on absorption of a balanced what what's truly a balanced market or even maybe even a shift into a buyer's market like like we had in 2009 2010 2011 yeah so if you if you listen to the talking heads on tv or in the newspaper they talk about six months that is that is old news that's kind of like 1980s selling before uh you know we got technology and all of that the right answer in my opinion is four months if you are at three months or less it's a buyer's market. And again, what we're going to have to do is we get off this ridiculously low number, which is just over a million homes when we should be at 3.3. These are national numbers. Um, you're going to start dividing inventory. And I think we're going to find is, you know, markets, whatever your market's in, you're going to start to see a divide between what's 3x the median. So if my median is 300 for simple math, everything 900 and above, which is 3x 300, that's how I get there. Uh, that stuff's going to sit because there's only so many rich people, right? And so many people with cash down payments and lending is going to get harder for second homes, right? Fannie Mae changed the rules for second homes and investment homes. So it's going to get more expensive, but anything below three X uh, is going to be good business. So again, I think the right answer is four months. Uh, anything over four months, in my opinion, is a buyer's market. Four months. Okay. So four months. And then what would you say is balance? 60 days? Two months? Oh, four, four months is balanced. If you're at four months, it's balanced. It's, it's, it's that, balanced. It's, yeah, that's kind of like the teeter-totter. If you're right on four months, I call that a healthy market. Just enough coming on, just enough coming off, four months. If you're at three, it's a seller's market. You're at four and a half, it's a buyer's market. And it swings quickly. Um, you know, it, you're, I've never seen it where it's you know, like just barely a buyer's market. It always goes wham, swings right over to the side because uh, either interest rates spike or we get an RO, REO flood or whatever it is. Um, but I don't see a buyer's market. I mean, I can squint and I could, I can twist and turn and, and, and maybe, maybe create a buyer's market in 2023. Maybe. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of bad things would have to line up to make that happen, but that's the soonest I could see, you know, more than four months supply. Uh, and again, I'm not calling that but people it happen it's not 2021 i mean just take that off the freaking table these idiot channels and it's not even next year right an reo in a foreclosure the last time took over 700 days and last time i checked there's only 360 some odd days in a year so i mean you just mathematically can't get there uh this year for a crash thank you great answers adrian so good. So, so then knowing that Zuber, I guess my question to you is how on a buyer's aspect, sure. where do we see interest rates going? If we do see that normalized market this quarter, I'm sorry, this summer towards the end of the year. Yeah. So I think what we're going to see is I think this administration is, and you're already starting to see the edges of it. And this will be the first time in 20 years. It's always changing. That's real estate investing is never boring. You've got to watch lending interest rates, all of this. I think what is clearly going to happen this year is you're going to see that investment loans, the stuff that I use and buy, you're going to see interest rates over 5%. However, owner-occupant loans, I think they're going to do everything humanly possible to keep it with a three on it. I think they're going to let the diversion happen, right? What did FHFA do that Fannie Mae sent that letter? 
they're like, dude, we're not going to buy as many investment loans. We want to max out at 7%. And all of my mortgage brokers and whatnot are telling me that they were running about 10 or 11%. So that's 4% of loans gone for investors, right? So my guess is the administration, and they won't tell us, but they're tired of investors. This K-shaped recovery I've been talking about for a year is so real. It annoys them. The wealth gap is real. So my guess is they're going to let investment loans get above five, and they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep owner rocks below 4%. So they're one and one to three on them. That's my guess. That's big. I, I asked because this weekend I was at a, um, was at a, was a party and we had one person saying you need to buy now because of the prices and they're going to go up. And, you, and then you got the other person saying, yes, but you have interest rates and that's going to oversee if when the prices quote unquote, do go down for this quote unquote crash, right? I'm talking to all these buyers and they're the ones that are frustrated, right? We'll just wait for the crash. We'll just wait for the crash. Every, you know, they're all waiting for the crash. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. There's a, there's a common talk track on YouTube university from idiots who aren't in the business. It goes something like this. Every 1% raise or fall in interest rate, the price of a home goes up or down 10%. That's what people are hearing. They're seeing it. But these are idiots who haven't been in the market for 20 years. They haven't realized that the federal government has come in and unnaturally forced rates lower. Yeah. Interest rates could go to 4% tomorrow and it would not impact owners or investors at all. It just wouldn't. Five and a half, maybe, right? I think without the, you know, the Fed buying 50 to 100 billion of mortgage-backed securities, Interest rates would be somewhere between four and five, four and four and a half percent today, naturally speaking. So, in my opinion, interest rates can go up up one point two percent and have zero impact on price. What will happen is you'll have less buyers. You'll have less buyers that get yes answers. But as far as I'm concerned, that's great. We don't need twenty seven offers on a home. Two, are okay, right? Two creates competition. Two creates best and final. 27 is idiotic and stupid and points to other problems. So interest rates going from 3.2 to 4.2% will not, will not drop prices 10%. And if you'd rather wait for prices to go up and pay another point, go right ahead. It's your, if this is America and if you want to be financially stupid, go ahead. So love it. I love that. I love, cause it's just, it's that, I mean, you guys, those on the screen, I mean, you guys are all getting the same thing working with your buyers, right? They're either talking about waiting for the market to change or interest rates. And so thank you for clearing that up, Michael. It's another question. So things we can implement, like if you're talking to an agent, that agent wants to go get more business from what's going on. That agent wants to capitalize on what's about to occur. What would be your advice there? How would you? Yeah, so nine months ago when we talked about this, it was just go prospect, 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 because it was all about listings, right? Now what, I gotta, what I'm telling you is it's, you've got to be very careful. This is a dangerous time for agents because you could have done all the work the last year, 18 months, and you can lose commission. So priority number one for me is to take care of the, the pipeline you've already built because as inventory grows, all of these buyers who have been so frustrated, they're one of 23 offers, they're one of 17 offers, and they're, they're 50K, they're 100K over asking and still losing. They are at some point going to blame you. And they're going to walk into an open house in September and they're going to look at their significant other and go, holy shit, honey, this one doesn't have a asking. You think we should write an offer now? That's going to happen. So educate them that inventory is rising, that opportunity is coming, all of those things. That would be the number one thing is to protect the investments you've already made. Second, look for those opportunities for trade-ups. We have so many people that bought seven, eight years ago, sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity if you're in California. And a lot of them don't like their home. They want a bigger one. They want a nicer one. They want a newer one. So that would be priority number two for me is I want to go double dip. I want to get the listing and the buy, right? Get Take my time and get two commission checks. That would be priority number two uh, today. Love it, Michael. Thank you. So, I want to follow up. You said you talked, you did a comparison of um, a number of a million units versus 3 million units. And I think, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I think you're talking about national sales. Can you elaborate on that? Cause I think yeah. we went through that fast and I, I want sorry. the audience and I even kind of like, wait a minute, Yeah. where are we at? 
Yeah. So pending home sales came out uh, today or yesterday. I, I look at the news. So sometimes the days run together. Pending home sales values were up. Uh, Case Shiller up 12.3 or 11.6%, 11.6%. But on top of that, <laughs> this is so funny. All these idiots on YouTube University are going to say, pending home sales are crashing because they were down 10.6% month on month. Keep reading the article. The reason is there's only 1.03 million homes available for sale. Active listings, nationally speaking, are as low as they've ever been at 1.03 million available properties. That's all price points from the you know, $120 million palatial thing in SoCal to the 50K house in pick the, you know, Indiana, wherever it is, all of them. A natural market is between 3.3 and 3.4 million available homes, nationally speaking. Dude, we are we're so far below a natural market is not even funny. Absolutely. Let me ask you, Michael, do you see with um, the cost of building materials and just kind of the hiccup of we lost developers weren't developing from 2008 to 2000. 12, maybe mm -hmm. even 14 or 15, arguably, mm -hmm. in most markets in California. Um, two things is, how do you see the developers, you know, the, the big national home builders, Richmond American and KB and those guys. Mm -hmm. And then also, how does the building materials, I know like Adrian and Eddie mm -hmm. are in a bunch of flips. I've got some yeah. projects going, the materials have spiked on us. Maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So kind of two, there's two different things there. We'll go to the building costs first. I, the, it is a real problem. Like I just did a 50 or 60 foot fence and I've done, I don't know if I've done, I bet you I've done 50 fences in my career, right? It's just one of those things in Fresno you got to do. Right. And I think they normally cost me like 1800 bucks, 1750, right. It's mainly materials. Uh, I just did one. It was over four grand. Just the flipping pickets were like three X what they used to be. Uh, I really do think that is a short-term blip. I do think it takes us through the summer, right? That just, you know, it was really the fires that California and Washington had kind of during the middle of this thing that, sh that was shut down for, for months, like six or eight weeks, something like that. And it just takes a while to come back. So uh, I, think, I think mom and pop builders and all of those folks, uh, yeah, you're going to have it. Uh, your flips will be a little, your material costs will be up for a while. Uh, the good news is if you get in and out in three or four months, you'll be able to pass that on uh, to your buyers. And I think your profit margins go up. Builders, that's a different story, right? Builders, you know, they, they got to really watch their spend, right? And, and watch their contracts because a lot of them get a signed contract. They get a little money, right? And then they build to that. So they've really got to watch their cash flow. Um, they got to watch how many pieces they're rolling out. Uh, and, and as far as I know, every publicly traded one is actually slowing down, right? Pulte Homes was first at about 60 days ago, and I brought that up. KB Homes has done the same. Lennar has done the same. So a lot of them agree with me. They think this is short term. But to your point of underbuilding, they're even underbuilding less now, right? Because they're like, dude, yeah, we'll build the ones that we, you know, that are already sold, but we're not, we're not going out on a limb because these construction costs are not, and labor. Let's not forget labor is a big problem for construction workers. We lost a lot of that skill set in the last crash. And then the last thing kind of tying all that together, I think a huge thing going forward is going to be builders. Like Lennar just announced a $4 billion plan to do build for rent. Mm. Think about that. They're going to build entire housing, housing tracks, thousands of them, all as rentals. You know what they're going to do with those? They're going to build them. They're going to rent them and they're going to sell them to Wall Street as a big bundle, right? The single family asset, the single family rental is going to be an asset that Wall Street dominates. It's 2% of the market today. It could be six to 8% by the end of the decade. And I bring that up because I like to follow what the rich do. And if the rich are buying single family rentals and that's what they're gonna be doing, I wanna kind of get it, I wanna like follow them. And uh, it's, it's kind of a signal. Uh, Multifamily is overpriced. Class A stuff, urban's not the place to be, no backyard, elevators, all this nonsense. Uh, you know, they're going to be building a lot of single family rentals like never before. And that's a signal that uh, single family rentals are a good place to be. 
I love it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I could, man, that's, that's insightful because I had not heard it that way where you talk about Wall Street's interest. You know, I, I've seen where they did some acquisitions of some hedge fund groups that were mm -hmm. buying during the, the downturn, but just really wanting to have a bigger piece of that. They have $250 billion already committed to single family homes. Money wow. that's just burning a hole in their pocket, sitting on the sidelines, waiting to pounce. So if you think this crash is coming and you know it's going to fall 20%, Wall Street's going to come in and buy all of them. I was buying properties every other week in Fresno in 2010. And then out of nowhere, Wall Street came in. They bought sight unseen at asking. And the market was over. Gone. Wall Street's not going to let it collapse. They've got $250 billion already committed. And you know, in 24 hours, they could do another $250 billion. They're not playing. This money costs them zero. They don't get paid for committed capital. They only get paid when it's deployed. You think those rich son of a guns aren't just licking their chops to pick up freaking rentals? Man, pay attention, people. I love it. Thank you, Michael. So insightful. Thank you for that. Um, I want to um, I want to just prompt everybody. If you have, if you want to ask a question, okay. So here's kind of the rules of engagement. If you look down in the bottom of the screen, there they have reactions. There's a little <laughs> smiley face with a little plus sign right above the head. If you want to ask a question, raise your hand, and then I'm going to call on you. I'm going to pass it to Adrian for a few more questions, and then I want to open it up for the group. So, Adrian. No, I was just going to say, Michael, what I hear you saying is uh, buy more rentals. <laughs> That's what I, I heard. One you, at a time. I heard you say, buy my book and go buy a rental. That's what I heard. So, all right, you guys, that fancy car you wanted this summer, let it wait. Look at it. Not, it's not that enjoyable. You enjoy it for like three weeks and then you get bored of it. I know because I'm telling you from experience, okay? Like, Go buy the rental. It's not a question. I just wanted to hit the, hit the nail on the head of your point. Because I think there's a lot of us right now, we're just, we're waiting. And I talk to so many investors. I talk to investors that, you know, they see what Omar's buying. They see what I'm buying. They see what Ty, they see you. And they're like, dude, what do I do? Like, should I buy? Should I wait? Should I wait for the crash? And I'm telling everybody, buy, just buy it. Just buy it. So if you guys get anything from this, buy it. As my, <laughs> the numbers. I'm done. We're not seeing this change anytime soon. So thank you, dude. I, I really appreciate all of your help, everything, all of the, the contribution that you do and the knowledge, because uh, especially what you just said right now with Wall Street. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. I love it. I love it. So let's go to Maria. Maria, you had your hand raised. Again, folks, raise your hand. I'm surprised only two people raised their hand. And I'm not, no big deal. I got, I got 10 more <laughs> questions to ask. For, for myself, because I want to know, right? I want to know what's going to happen and get, you know, we we should be on our hands and knees, remember? <laughs> our thing. Michael is blessing us with his time, his energy, his wisdom, and all of his really real-time research. So you guys, please, this is, and by the way, there are no silly questions. Even if you're just getting started or half the conversation was over your head, that's okay. Let's get you in the game and get you in the conversation so you can get on the field and start playing. So Maria, unmute yourself here, please fire away. I did have a question. As you were speaking of like, there's no short sales, not going to be like a shortage or anything, just critical thinking right now, based on knowing that there's so many people on unemployment or so many people that got stimulus and financial literacy is so bad that they've been spending it. For those people that I feel did lose the jobs and stuff, do you feel we'll have a rise in NODs? Because I feel like if they haven't been paying mortgage because some deferred it or some did forbearance and then they didn't use their unemployment or stimulus, do you think we'll see a bigger change at the end? Because I feel we are, but I might be wrong. Yeah, that's that's the great debate. Um, so first and foremost, let's just kind of break this down because I think this this is probably the most important question you could ask yourself today. And let's be clear, there will, like right now, a lot of the numbers I've thrown out are nationally speaking. When, when we talk about foreclosure crisis or short sales or NODs, 
This is where we're going to have to get micro focused. And I like to use Las Vegas as an example, right? I'm lucky enough to interview a guy who's lived in Vegas for 30 years, once a month on my channel. And we both have been just hilariously laughing at what's going on, right? Prices are up like 30%, no inventory, all of these things. And they have 23% unemployment. I mean, reconcile that in your mind for a minute. And what's really going on uh, to your question, Maria, is we have what's called the K-shaped recovery. Unfortunately, a lot of the pain that has been felt in the industry uh, or in, in for people is people in the service industry, hotels, restaurants, retail, things of that nature, entertainment. And again, it's very different in very different markets, but a lot of those folks are renters, not owners. Uh, but there have been owners who have been hit by this. Maybe they lost their business or they were the owner of the retail shop or whatever. So this is what's going to happen, right? We're going to get to the end of this and forbearance periods will end and there's going to be an event. Let's just make it July 1st. And again, it could be September. Actually, I think it's September 1st now for foreclosure forbearance. So we get to September 1st. Nobody is late yet because the bank and the borrower agreed that they would have this window where there's no payments. Now it's September 1st. The bank's going to go, okay, federal government's not mandating anything now. Now I'm going to look at this. Okay, you're down $25,000. They're going to A, look at your, they're going to ask you to prove your financial hardship. First thing you're going to do is send them your bank statement. And if you got 50 or 60 grand in the account, they're going to say, give me my 25 grand now. And they will reinstate the loan. No harm, no foul. Second, they're going to take the financial statements and go, shoot, you don't have any money, but you're employed. You've been, you were unemployed for six or nine months, but now you're working. So they're going to underwrite the loan again. And they're going to say, hey, can you make the original payment? Maybe there's three grand. They're going to say, yes, you can now pay the three grand because you're working again. Then they're going to go back and take the $25,000. And everything I've read is they're going to create a second mortgage. They're going to stick it on the back and it won't come due until the first is paid off or you sell the property. Third is going to happen is, oh my God, you're employed now, but you're not making as much as you used to. You can't afford three grand, but you can afford 2,400. So most banks, because they don't want to do a foreclosure crisis, are going to rewrite the loan, extend the term, lower the rate, whatever it is, they're going to make that buyer whole because they are working and they can pay 2,400. So they're going to come back. Then they're going to be the people that don't have any money, don't have a job, and they have no hopes for paying it. That, that, whatever that set is, that's where you're going to see NODs filed. But again, remember, what are they going to do first? They're going to list their home. Unless you bought your house in the last seven days, you probably have equity. So again, if you have equity, if you're sitting on 40 grand and you can cover commissions, anything more than that ends up in your pocket. So I think most people, most people are going to be made whole with the mortgage. Maybe they stick it on as a second. Yes, there will be some people that are forced to sell. Most of them have equity. There will be some percentage, 5, 15, 25, that just refuse to play ball. They refuse the lender phone calls. They just, they just stick their head in the sand and hope it all goes away. Those people will go into a foreclosure process. You will see NODs tick up. It will be nothing like 2008, 9, and 10, not even close numbers-wise. And, you know, they will foreclose. But guess what? That stuff shows up 700 days later based on last time. So, again, if we're waiting for some crash because some wave of foreclosures, it's, it's 2022. It's not 2020. Uh, so the only inventory that's going to show up now is the people with no job but have equity. There will be some of those. I don't know what percentage that is, 10 20%. That will be some inventory uh, that will come on. But they have equity. They're going to cash out. They're going to go become renters somewhere else because their credit will be impacted. And that's okay. I, I don't think the pain from this is going to be anything close to what, you know, oh my God, 3.2 million foreclosures coming. You're kidding me. That's not going to happen. Spot on. Spot on. Great answer, Michael. Great question, Maria. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Carlos. Carlos, you can unmute yourself and then Cassidy, you're on deck. Again, if you guys want to ask a question, you just go to the reaction at the bottom of the page and then just raise your hand and I'll call on you. Please, Carlos. All right, I had to find the unmute button. Hey, Michael, thanks for being on the call. 
Uh, I've been following your, your data financial news much like, like a lot of other folks. Uh, I actually got my parents the one rental at a time book and then stole the book back from them because <laughs> they weren't reading it fast enough. Uh, so um, uh, uh, one of the things that I love about your interview formats with, with your expert series is you, you're, I really appreciate that you're willing to hear, uh, you know, pitch an idea say, how do you think about this? Not necessarily just positing yourself as here's how it's going to be. I'm right. And that's, different from a lot of like like you said a lot of the youtube universe that like they sit on this high pedestal of here's here's what's going to happen with absolute certainty where do you feel most prone that your insight might you know zig where you think it's going to zag where do you feel least confident in some of your insight yeah the the that's a great question I've never been asked that but the, the answer is very obviously banks again i saw last time what happens when banks don't play ball and they don't work with borrowers uh and that leads to a nasty domino series of events that just blows up into a mushroom cloud it starts slowly it's like a tsunami and it just builds and builds and builds and builds they are acting so unexpectedly different today that it shocked me uh but near as i can tell they're still leaning that direction that could change in a moment you know somebody on wall street could whisper in bank of america's ear and say hey we'll buy all your foreclosures at loan price foreclose as fast as possible, right? If the banks suddenly don't play ball with homeowners, that would change my story in a heartbeat. Because again, there's a financial commitment, there's a contract in place. And if you miss a payment, they can file an NOD tomorrow, all right? Or after 60 days or whatever the time is in your state. So the biggest zig or zag where I could absolutely be wrong is if the banks suddenly go back to 2008 and they read the letter of the contract and go, nope, we don't have to deal with you. We don't want to deal with you. We want your house because Wall Street's going to make us whole and Wall Street's going to give us a 10% kicker. And I mean, that could happen. I don't think it's a likelihood given the current administration because they would just rain holy hell on people. But I mean, that's the biggest thing is if banks suddenly go back to being dicks. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> great answer. Hey, great question, Carlos. I love that. That is a very insightful question. Very insightful question. Thank you for uh, for asking. Let me go to Cassidy. Cassidy, you can unmute yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, thank you guys for doing this. Um, my question is that I've been seeing a lot more, I want to say, uh, sellers who have, are selling with tenants already in. <laughs> and, and a lot of times they're kind of under-rented, and for, especially for what they're asking. And I, I'm not, as being kind of new into this, I'm a little unsure how to factor in that amount of risk, that amount of kind of the unknown, and also, you know, the, the amount of control that's been exerted upon, hmm. uh, upon your ability to remedy the situation. And um, so, any advice there? Yeah, first and foremost, I, I personally wouldn't, unless I got a significant discount. I would not buy a property tenant occupied today because I'm going to assume they're never going to pay me. That's that's there's a lot of frustrated landlords out there, especially small mom and pops. Um, I don't even want to take over a property. I'd rather have a property month to month than have a brand new lease. I got asked that question before. I, no, I want I, I want the ability and flexibility to remove somebody as fast as possible and get somebody in that I qualify. This is this is not normal. Right. Historically speaking, I would love to buy from frustrated landlords. Right. I get a discount. I kick them out. I get value add. It's all gravy. Mm, not right now. CDC just got extended to July 1st. I think it is, uh, you know, state of California. Who knows what the freaking governor wants to do? Everybody's free these days. Um, I would not buy something tenant occupied today because I'm going to assume the owner is lying to me because, you know, suddenly everybody's paying. And um, unless I got a big discount, like a property I just closed on probably 30 or 45 days ago, uh, the, the um, owner told me that the tenant was there and, you know, I validated and they weren't, there was a tenant there, but not paying. So I said, you know what? I will pay for the eviction, but I'm only going to close once it's empty. Right. So we were, we were in escrow for like six months and we finally got them out uh, because they were subleasing, which is a, a, a contract violation, which you can evict for. Um, but yeah, I, today it's rough. I would, I frankly wouldn't buy one today, just knowing all the rules are changing. Uh, that will change. Like we get, we get to like June and again, we get into the light. 
that I was talking about at the very beginning and we're all standing in the sunlight and it, all the flowers are blooming and all of that, I will probably go hunting for uh, tenant occupied properties because I'm going to get a monster discount because this will end. We will be able to evict people again. The contract law is in the constitution, the US constitution. It's called the fifth amendment and taking clause. I have full faith that we will eventually get that back. I actually think it'll end in June, but we'll see. But at this point, Cassidy, I, uh, unless you're going to give me a significant discount, I'm going to assume they're never going to pay and I'm going to have them until July. Um, so hopefully that helps. Great question. Absolutely great question. I love it. Love it. Great question. You answered my question too there, Michael. So I appreciate that. We were about to buy one with the back tenant. Um, so thank you for that. Appreciate yeah, I would, I would. Again, I, I'm willing to pay the eviction fee, but I want you to be the owner while I do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Love well, it. Let, let's go to Anthony. Anthony, you can unmute yourself. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Uh, appreciate the invite from Johnny. So Johnny and I had this conversation about um, the direction of the market. And one of the things that you had mentioned was the wild card with interest rates. Um, so I guess my question is this in terms of affordability and how it affects the market. If the values go up an additional 10%, rates year over year, actually over the last 60 days, give or take, have gone up another 1%. When the rates go up an additional one, overall that monthly payment goes up almost 30%. So would that be something to kind of put the brakes on the market or people start reevaluating that, that buy? Yeah, you got, I mean, if you're in California, Anthony, we've talked about it before, the California Association of Realtors, car.org has an affordability index. And uh, you can go back and look at, to, at some of our other squad up videos that I think are, are saved. And we talk a lot about it. Ty has asked me a bunch, Adrian asked me a bunch. And you got to watch the affordability. Yes, interest rates up, price up is a double whammy. It absolutely crushes affordability. But let's talk, I can only talk about my market with any certainty today. Fresno, California is a 47, 47%. And I don't get nervous until the 20. So yes, interest rates could go up another point. Prices could go up another 10%. My rough math says that that takes the affordability down to about 32 or 33. Not great, but nowhere close to 20. It will eventually yeah. get there. I mean, that's the problem, right? You want to ask me, when does this thing blow up? The answer is when affordability gets to 20. And again, you could get there three ways. Interest rates could shoot up to about six and a half or seven. That would get us there. Prices could go up 30% or incomes can fall 20%. Those are the three variables that make all of this up. And it could be a combination of all of the above. So yeah, it is an incredibly important metric. But these people that are preaching interest rates go up 1%, prices fall 10%. They don't appreciate that we are coming off an unnaturally low level. The first 1% rise does not impact prices or affordability at all. It's just, you know, coming off of an unnaturally low level that the Fed forced because the Fed wanted to clean up individual. How many of you refinanced your home? Mm -hmm. Most of us. How many of you didn't bother taking cash out? Most of us, we did rate and term. Mm -hmm. So we're, our income statements look better. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get us ready for when we come out of this and we can go be you know, consumers again. Um, yeah. So that's what they were doing. I guess a follow-up question to that then is because um, depending on the market that we're in, I'll use San Diego as a good example. Sure. Um, $800,000, a million and a quarter. We've already started to see the market get um, buyer fatigue. And at that price point now in our area, we're hitting like in the low 20s for affordability. Oh, yeah. Be careful. So, you know, we were at 26 and I think the last time we got the worst level was about 20, 21% in affordability index. There you go. Um, and we're really seeing this migration pattern happen where we're having people move out to like Temecula or um, mm -hmm. East County in the cheaper areas. Mm -hmm. But um, the other thing we're starting to see is people staying put. So with this supply and demand kind of thing, I mean, do we just overall see transaction volume just die off? Well, I, guess, I don't know San Diego, so I, I don't know. But I guess my first question is who's first question is who's going to Temecula? Is it the millennial buyer, first time buyer? Or well, it's a military. Is, oh, so just military. Okay. And, or the other question would be is 
who, what are the baby boomers doing? Right? Are the baby boomers the staying in place that you were telling us about? I mean, because there's really two elephants in the room. First time buyers, which are millennials and baby boomers. Baby boomers already got the houses or, or a second house. Millennials are trying to get their first. So when you tell me about these other areas, that's what I'd want to know about. Um, so if you know those answers, that would be helpful. Yeah. And the one thing that we did see in that market area, like recently, um, I have an agent that told me he had 80 showings on a Saturday. Like people were literally lined up down the block mm -hmm. um, at that price point. But then on the opposite side, um, by the beach in the city, they were like, yeah, I had like two people come by. So I don't know the price point. So th I'm confused. Um, I would say the price point is probably gonna be about the 450 to 550,000 range is where it's been really kind of like, um, well, that flood. sounds remarkably affordable. That doesn't sound like a 26 affordability to me. No, they... that's the Temecula, but you're driving about an hour oh, to an okay. hour and 20 minutes out of the city. Yeah. I mean, the place to be folks is affordable homes. You don't want to be anywhere. I don't know what San Diego's median is. It's probably 580, no, maybe? 685 now. Oh, 685. Yeah. If you're, if you're two X that, if you're playing in the 1.2s, inventory is going to build, man. That's uh, you know, that's, it's pretty hard to cash flow a $1.2 million house. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's, it's all about affordable stuff. I, I play below the median. I don't, you know, median in Fresno is 330, 340, depending on who you talk to. I don't buy anything over 200, mm. right? So, so very good question. Very good answer, Michael. And Anthony, here's what I think this will help everybody. And I think it was a great question in that, like one of the things that Michael does in the mentorship is he talks in his mentorship is he talks specifically about your study, your market. Mm -hmm. And you should know like what the new inventory is on a daily basis you know, and he looks at it twice a day, 15, 20 minutes in the morning, 15, 20 minutes in the afternoon. So that's, that's something might, and he's been doing that. How, how many years have you been doing that? Michael? About 20 years. I think I've missed a total of 20 days. 20 years. He's missed 20 days in 20 years. He looks at the market in the morning. He looks at it in the afternoon, the same way. Maybe if you owned a bunch of stock, right? If you had a bunch of NASDAQ and Dow Jones stocks, you'd probably look at it in the morning and Maybe you look at it in the afternoon to see how your Apple stock is doing. Mm -hmm. Michael's doing the same thing and he's looking at. So Anthony, I want to help this question. San Diego is incredibly tight, low inventory, but there are segments once you get a far above, like what Michael said, 2X above the median, it, it's a different market. It's it, The air is a little thinner up there, but you want to study those segments because there's different segments in the market for affordability. So Great question, great answer. Everybody should be studying their market. I want to pass it back to Adrian. I feel like I've done more of the more of the questions. Adrian, more questions from you? I just want to say to Ty's point, to Michael's point, is that median price point, guys. As Ty's talking about and as Michael's talking about studying the market, make sure you understand what that median price point is in each and every single one of your markets. How many of you are eventually going to flip a property or how many of you plan on buying rentals? Just by a show of hands. Okay, good. It's important you know your median price point, especially as a flipper. I didn't fully understand this at the beginning, right? And I went into areas not getting it until Ty's like, dude, what do you what do you mean you bought that for 800 <laughs> Sales value, 600 You're going to have a hard time there. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, and then 90 days later, hey, Ty, I have a, oh, I got, I got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to it, especially if, especially if that's your guys's goal, right? Really, really important. So yeah. just wanted to piggyback on that. And then Michael, I, what I would also ask, right? So I have, um, and this is a little side question, but just question, and this is all personal preference, but I'm also talking to a lot of millennials, Z generation that are like, Adrian, do I buy my first house? Do I buy a rental? Do I buy a mm. rental and then buy my first house? I know this is preference, right? Mm. But number wise can you can you give us some insight there yeah so i've been playing with this a lot because i think i think real wealth comes from getting on the property ladder and, and i'm disgusted by the fact that gen z and millennials you know are, are their average wealth is is so low so i i if you were to ask me this a month ago i probably would have had a different answer but i'm, I'm going to go with this one today what i would tell a gen z or a millennial to do is buy their first home but but realize two things. First, it's not your forever home, right? It's not the home you're going to live in for 50 years. Second, do it with a plan. I want, I want the Gen Zs who are 20 or the millennials that are 27 to have a 10-year plan. 
And I want you to buy your first house and leverage the amazing things that the government gives you in real estate to make yourself wealthy. One, you only have to save three and a half percent down. What other asset can you go get 96.5% leverage? Two, you live in your house for a year, you house hack with some other friends and family. And then ultimately when you exit that after 14 or 18 or 24 months, make it a rental and go get your next one with three and a half percent down. I want you to get on the property ladder with a plan. You know, the other thing I think that people don't do enough of, and you guys are in San Diego. And if you, if you don't have kids like infants, the biggest tax benefit that nobody or not enough people take advantage of is, did you know, if you're married, there's a way you can get $500,000 tax-free from the IRS every two years. Did you know that? All you got to do is buy a value add flip, call it your owner occupied, live in it for two years, then sell it two years and a day later. And you can, you can flip off the IRS to the tune of $500,000 and repeat that every two years. Get in the property ladder, have a freaking plan, make sure your partner's on board because living in a flip is probably not a lot of fun. But God damn it, use the tax code, use, use the incentives that real estate are out there and let's get wealthy. Let's stop punishing other people for, for taking risks and moving in. Go use the same things they're using, conservative leverage and the freaking tax code. So I love it. We're going to just end on that. I had another question, but I'm going to save my question for Friday because that was such an epic ending. Adrian. So don't go take all the $300,000 you have in your bank account and buy a $1.5 million house. You know, be strategic with it is what I heard, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just say, for example, you're in San Diego and you found a million dollar house on the beach that hasn't been updated since the 80s. I would buy that house as a real estate agent, assuming I could qualify. I'd probably put five or 10% down because it's my own rock. If you're an investor, you got to put 25 or 30% down. I'm living there. I'm going, to put, I'm going to put as little down as I can, somewhere between 5 and 10%. Then me and my wife, significant others, we're going to flip that property two years later. So you know what? We're going to go do the kids' bedrooms first. Then you know what? Maybe we'll do the backyard because we want to, you know, or maybe we do the backyard first because we want to enjoy it. Then we're going to do that. Then we'll do the kitchen and we'll eat out for 90 days. Then we'll do the bathrooms. And then two years and a day later, you list it under current tax guidelines, you can make $500,000 over your cost basis and not pay a lick to the IRS. It is the biggest gift out there that nobody takes advantage of. Love it. Well, uh, see y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good, dude. Thank you so much. Great job. Great question, Adrian. Great question, everybody. Anthony, Maria, Cassidy, Carlos, everybody who asked questions, great questions. Um, we're going to wrap up. We're at time, but I want a couple of things. I want to thank our sponsor. <laughs> our sponsor. It's not a sponsor. This is one of our friends and a leader in this community. If you have not bought the book, go buy the book. There it is. Look at Carlos. Look at Robert. <laughs> Thank you for representing. Go buy the book, One Rental at a Time. If, by the way, how many of you got the free book? By the way, somebody, we did this about 60 days ago. There was a bunch of you that asked for free books. Let's see by show of hands. I know there's several of you that we got you free books. So here's the thing. Some of you may not be here or maybe watching on Facebook. If you enjoyed the book, if you are enjoying the book, if you've already purchased the book, go on to Amazon and give this man a five-star rating. Write a nice comment and talk about what a go-giver Michael Zuber is, because that's what he is. Right. Um, yeah, so definitely we want you guys, please go on to Amazon, review the book. Um, I have, Michael was very generous to Adrian and I in supporting Squad Up. He sent me a, a box of books and I just shipped it out. So here's the thing, I can't promise because I don't know how many I have, but I can say, and I don't know how many of you will respond, but if you'll go and follow, you can follow Michael on YouTube. You can also follow him on Instagram, Facebook. But I would encourage you to start following him on YouTube. He's at one rental at a time. He puts out some of the best content that's out there, real estate related, 
financial news related, how to really get on the right side of this wealth, wealth gap. He talked about the K-shaped recovery. We want to be on that upper side of the K, growing our assets, becoming wealthy, right? So I want to encourage you to get involved. Follow him on YouTube. If you do that, take a screenshot of it. You can email it to me. And the thing is, I don't know how many of you will respond. If it's four or five, six of you, we'll get your books. If it's a few more, I'll have to do a raffle or we'll figure it out somehow. But I want to make sure that you guys get the books. Go on and review. Michael, any closing uh, comments? Adrian, any closing comments? No, I would. Like, what I would like to do, Michael, I'd like to have a talk on just... Uh, just millennials and and Gen Z and oh that'd be awesome that I I think I can get quite a you know just because I know this is like an ongoing topic and I, I can go on with questions and questions about that so can we set yeah. that up is that cool uh, absolutely my daughter's a millennial so it's a particular passion of mine financial uh, literacy is not taught in schools uh, and the millennials and, and Gen Z you know they need to take action now they need to get on the property ladder they need to let time be at their back you know. Uh, yeah, yes, anytime. Thank you. We'll set that up. Thank you so much, Michael. We appreciate you. Ty, thank you. Ella, you guys, thank you guys so much. This was this is what I'm gonna leave you with. Every single morning we do a squad up call. So at nine o'clock in the morning, we start the call. What we've noticed is that there's a lot of there's agents, entrepreneurs, flippers, lenders, wholesalers. If you guys need any accountability, you guys, we do this every single day. Come join us. We'll, uh, make sure in, you're in the squad up group. We'll repost the link every single day at nine o'clock. And then we end with some powerful affirmations. So make sure you join in. If you have any questions, let us know. Michael, thank you so much, you guys. Please go leave Michael review, watch the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that little button that has a bell on it that says subscribe. Thank you all so much, guys. See you soon. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone. Later. Thank you.